you know, Faith, she has eight siblings. She grew up in a huge house, a full house. Um, she was raised in a home that was uh, his, hers, mine, and ours. And, and that just basically means that some of her siblings are step-siblings. Uh, some of them are half-siblings. Some of them are full-siblings. And she actually has two siblings that were adopted. So um, Grace is Faith's younger sister. Uh, she was adopted. She's been part of the family since she was 18 months old. And when they first got her, uh, her legal name was Shorty. That was her name. It was Shorty. And uh, so Shorty uh, was her biological father's gang name. That's how she, that's how she got the name. Uh, and then Christian, uh, this is Faith's younger brother uh, who was adopted. He's been with the family uh, since he was six months old. And Christian, uh, this is where things get a little bit confusing, Christian is biologically Grace's half-brother. So, again, she was raised in this huge house with his, hers, mine, and ours. And when Faith's family first took Grace and Christian in, uh, they were both neglected as babies. Um, Grace wasn't physically abused, but she was severely neglected. She was actually found during a drug raid. And then Christian uh, was abused physically. He was neglected as well as severely malnourished. And when they got Christian, um, they picked him up from the hospital and he was wearing a cast. So uh, the doctors, the nurses had been treating the injuries that he'd received from his biological father. So today, uh, Grace is 19 years old and Christian is 16. And when I first met them, I mean, they were just, they were little. And uh, I tell you this because I've often wondered what their lives would have been like if Faith's mom and her stepdad wouldn't have stepped in to adopt them when they were motherless and when they were fatherless. And, you know, for some of you, you're going to be able to connect with their story because you yourself were adopted or you have adopted children and adopted sibling or maybe you have a close friend uh, that's been adopted. But I think for most of us, or at least many of us, this idea of adoption um, is kind of foreign because when you haven't experienced it in your own life, it's really hard to understand the sacrifice that, that goes into adoption. I mean, the capacity, the capacity for love that an individual or a family has to have to take on the responsibility of bringing someone they've never met into their home, loving them, caring for them, helping direct their lives, giving of themselves for that child as long as they live. I mean, that, that's just a, that's amazing. This fall, we've been studying through the book of Galatians, and towards the end of Galatians chapter 3 and into Galatians 4, um, Paul changes directions slightly. See, he'd previously been addressing the false gospel that had taken root in many of the local churches throughout Galatia. And as he does, he reminds these churches to avoid false teachers, and he continually tries to bring them back to the truth of the gospel message. See, the, the, the false gospel that was being taught was one that taught um, salvation through faith and works. So you could earn God's favor somehow. You could do enough good things or say all the right things. And God would be pleased with you. He would accept you. He would forgive you. But the true gospel message teaches that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. In our text for today, um, Paul shifts gears to talk about another extremely important aspect of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and that is what it means to be adopted as a child of God. Today, we're going to talk about an important truth that Paul passed on to the local church, that in Christ, we're no longer slaves to our former lives of sin. 
Instead, we've been adopted as children of God. And I, and I love this truth we're going to see today, that everything that God the Father promises to his son, promises to do for his son, he's also going to do for us because we're part of his family. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 23, and we're going to go all the way through Galatians chapter 4, uh, verse 7. So we're at the very end of Galatians 3, and we're at the very beginning of Galatians chapter 4. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible with you today, we do have Bibles in the seat backs of the chairs, and then we're also going to have the scripture on the screen today. So Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 23, this is what we read. It says, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way, Paul says. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. You see, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And then we get into chapter 4. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. And this is why, he says, they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, and this is Paul's version of the Christmas story. When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. This is the word of the Lord, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. So in this section of Galatians, Paul reminds Christians in Galatia that they are children of God and that they're heirs with Christ. He explains children of God and heirs with Christ. And he explains this truth within the context of family because that's something that they would have understood. That's something that we can understand. And the contrast that he gives is between slaves and sons. So Paul teaches that in Christ we're no longer slaves to our former lives of sin, but, but now our sons and daughters of God. And that's because we've been adopted as God's children. And in this wonderful truth that everything that God the Father does for his son, he will also do for us. So that's going to lead us to our first point for today, if you're taking notes. And that is this, that God rescues us from our past. 
The first thing we're going to talk about today is that God rescues us from our past. So Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says, Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before we came, before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. So in a previous message, I think it was the first message in our series in Galatians, we talked about this wonderful truth about how in Christ, God can forgive our past. Not only can he, but he does. Regardless of our past, he can forgive our past. But today we're, we're, we're switching gears a little bit and talking about how God not only forgives our past, he also rescues us from our past. Galatians chapter 3 verse 22 says, But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Paul teaches in Galatians and throughout the New Testament that we're prisoners of sin, held captive by the sin in our lives. And this is why Paul spends so much time articulating the gospel and warning Christians to run from the false hope that a false gospel gives. See, when you're a prisoner of sin, you, you can't free yourself. When, when you're a prisoner of anything, you can't free yourself. You can't do enough good works. You can't say enough good things. And that's why legalism is so dangerous in the church. What we talked about last week, legalism is trying to work within our own power to earn God's favor. That's why legalism is so dangerous in the church. See, before Christ came and made a way for us to have a restored relationship with God, we were imprisoned by sin. We were beat down by past mistakes, chained up by a life that was leading us in the wrong direction. I imagine in this room today, there are stories and testimony about what life was like before you met Christ. See, God knew that we were prisoners of sin, so he provided a way for us to escape. And that way is through faith in Jesus Christ. See, without Jesus, we would remain in chains. And that's really the picture that Paul paints in Galatians is that of a prisoner chained up held down by, by the shackles around your wrists. Jesus came so that we could be set free from sin and so that we could live free for him. Uh, Christian's story, my, my wife's younger brother, helps, helps me really understand what it is that Jesus has done for me and for you. Uh, before Christian was picked up at the hospital, remember, beaten up, bruised, uh, wearing a cast, he was actually found in a crib, lying next to a spoiled bottle of, of formula and wearing nothing but a dirty diaper. And the back of Christian's head was, was flat because he'd spent so much time on his back. He'd never learned to use the muscles in his neck. He'd never learned to roll over. And he was six months old at this time. But Faith's mom and dad stepped in and, and they rescued him. When Christian was, was broken, when he was hopeless, when he was in need of a family, they gave him one. They met those needs and they helped begin the healing process for him. When Christian was adopted into the family, this is amazing, he, he was given the same rights and the same status as every other sibling in Faith's family. 
He was, he's loved, he's cared for, he's been given a hope and a future. You see, when we place our faith in Jesus, we too are rescued from our past. God provides a hope and a future. And that leads us into the second thing today, and that is that God adopts us into his family. God adopts us into his family. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us, who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. You know, one of the many blessings of being a Christian is this truth of adoption. And we see this truth throughout the New Testament. One of my favorite verses that speaks of adoption is found in the book of Ephesians, also written by Paul to Christians in Ephesus. And so Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, we read these words. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So in the first century, uh, when Paul uh, first wrote this, this word adoption, and when people read the word adoption, they didn't think about adoption like we do today. It's vastly different. See, we typically think of babies or, or toddlers, someone being adopted at a young age who, who doesn't necessarily have a mother or a father. And maybe you think about the children that were adopted by a close family friend or, or a relative or a coworker, but adoption was viewed really differently when Paul was writing the, this, these words. See, in, for, in the first century Roman world, nobody actually adopted babies because so many babies died. No one adopted toddlers because nobody knew what that child was going to turn out to be, who they were going to become. So in the first century Roman world, people adopted adults. You have rich, wealthy, powerful people who would adopt adults as their children. And this is why this, I think this is so crazy to me. Kind of funny as well. Uh, but they did this because the rich and powerful would look at their own children. They would look at their own biological children, their own family, and they would think, there's no way I'm leaving all of my stuff to them. Right? They, they can't be trusted. Seriously, this is true. They, they can't be trusted um, with you know, my political status, my influence. They can't be trusted with my title or my wealth. They would look at their own kids and think there's no way I'm handing things over to them. So they would ado- adopt adult children. In fact, uh, Julius Caesar, one of the most famous figures in Roman history, um, adopted a son. So after Julius Caesar was assassinated and they read his will, they discovered that he had adopted Octavian, a young man who was 19 years old. This was Julius Caesar's grand nephew. It's kind of a weird word and a weird way of thinking about your relationship to someone, but talk about not a bad deal for Octavian, right? I mean, Julius Caesar has these other kids and they don't really get anything. So As a result, Octavian inherited all of Julius Caesar's titles, all of his land, all of his wealth, and he went on to become Caesar Augustus. And we know through the scriptures and through extra biblical evidence that Caesar Augustus was the emperor during the birth of Jesus. And when he got older, we also know that Octavian, or Caesar Augustus, adopted his own grandchildren, and eventually even his wife's son from a previous marriage. And this guy's name was Tiberius. He was 40 years old when he was adopted. This is crazy, right? But that's how they viewed adoption. So I guess the moral to the story today is this. This is the bottom line. If, if you're a person of great wealth, and you have 
significant resources and you just don't trust your own children, I'm up for adoption today. (laughs) So just keep me in mind when you're writing your will. We want to be a church like the first century church, right? No. (laughs) No, the point is this, and this is significant. When Paul's adult and teenage audience read this word adoption, think about reading this word maybe for the first time in a written letter from the Apostle Paul. When they read this, it meant something significant to them. It meant that God looked at them as adults with all of their faults and all of their failures, knowing that while living in in first century Roman world, no one would adopt them, but God would. God would. Paul is showing us that God decided to adopt us, knowing everything we've, we've ever done and everything that we would ever do. See, Jesus provided a way for our relationship with God to be restored, and God decided to adopt us as his very own children. We've been offered an invitation today to not simply be forgiven. That's an amazing blessing. It's an amazing part of being a follower of Jesus. Your past being forgiven, your present being forgiven. But it doesn't stop there. We've been given this promise of adoption into the family of God. But it's also important for us today to understand that we don't enter into God's family through adoption in the same way that we think of adoption today. You see, the only way that we're able to be adopted uh, into God's family is by being born again. In fact, John chapter 3, verse 3 tells us, it says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, the word for adoption in the New Testament, it, it literally translates into a phrase that means to place as an adult son. To place as an adult son. So this has to do with our standing or our position in the family of God. I'll explain it this way. When, when you first believe in Jesus and you're, you're baptized into Christ, uh, spiritually you're like a child. Uh, spiritually you're like a newborn. But positionally, you're like an adult son or daughter who has all of the privileges of being an heir to the family fortune. Here's another way that we can think about this. When an individual trusts in Jesus and is saved, when they're born again, conditionally, he or she is a spiritual baby who needs to grow. So if you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, we'll throw this up on the screen. It says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Every person here today would agree that all children need to grow, right? Children need to grow. If, if a child doesn't grow, there's something wrong, all right, maybe medically or, or otherwise. When we trust in Jesus and we're born again, We become spiritual newborn babies. And if we're healthy, we'll learn to grow. And just like a newborn needs milk for nourishment, a new Christian needs the word of God in their lives. They need the encouragement of other believers in the body of Christ to help them grow as a newborn. And once we see our need for God's word and we begin to find nourishment in Christ, our spiritual appetite will increase And we'll start to mature. 
So that's kind of the first aspect of that. Conditionally, we start out like a newborn baby. But this is where things, I think, just blows my mind. Positionally, all Christians, young and mature, you can have been a follower of Jesus for a day or a lifetime. All Christians are like adult sons and daughters who can draw on the Father's wealth and who can exercise all of the wonderful privileges of being part of God's family. And the Christians in Galatia would have understood this because under Roman law, an adopted adult was guaranteed all of the legal rights to his father's property, even if he was formerly a slave. He wasn't a, sec- a second-class son or a second-class citizen. He was equal to all the other sons in the family, biological or, or adopted. The scriptures teach us that Jesus came at just the right time with all of the right qualifications to rescue us and to provide a way for us to be adopted into the family of God. Today, if, if you have believed in Jesus and you've been baptized into Christ, if you've made that decision, you've been adopted into God's family. This is an amazing truth, amen? Believe it or not, it gets better. It doesn't stop here. As adopted children, we now have all of the privileges of being God's children. And that's going to lead us to our third and final point today. And that is that God provides a future for us better than we could ever imagine. God provides a future for us better than we could ever imagine. So in Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So in in the first century, a son, a male, was the one who would receive all the rights to the family inheritance. Sometimes this was done by birth order, and sometimes it was just because that's who the father chose. Some Bible translations use the word child in the later part of this text, like what we see today in the NLT. They use the word child. They use that instead of the word son. But the word son is actually more accurate to the original translation. See, with their cultural background in mind, here's why this is significant. That that Paul chose to use a gender-specific noun like the word son to describe a Christian's position in God's family. Paul is saying that all people, young and old, all people, Jew or Gentile, all people, male or female, rich or poor, have the same position in the family of God. All people. See, in Christ, we're given a new hope. We're given a new future. And as Paul pins these words, he's, he's writing out of experience. He's writing out of a place that understands what Jesus can do in a person's life. And Paul has begun to understand the privileges that we have in Christ. I mean, the list is is long. I could roll out the list this morning and it would be like Jack giving a communion meditation. It would be that long. (laughs) Bill, you're next week. (laughs) The list is long. I wrote down just a few this morning. 
a few of the privileges that we have of being adopted into God's family. I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind, we talked about already, is forgiveness of sin. Knowing Jesus as Lord, being, being a child of God, uh, spending eternity with Jesus in heaven. We've been given the gift of prayer. We can talk to God and relate to him as, as a loving, a good and loving father. In Christ, we're filled with, with God the Holy Spirit. He teaches us, convicts us of sin, he comforts us, and God encourages us when we need encouragement. We're also able to relate to other believers as members of one family, one, one body of Christ. And God grows us into the people that he's called us to be. See, Paul reminds the Galatians about this wonderful truth of adoption because being a follower of Jesus is all about relationship. It's all about relationship. It's not about legalism. It's not about trying to follow all of the rules. It's about receiving God's free gift of grace and trusting in Jesus with our lives, being adopted into the family of God so that we can live a life that points others to Jesus. That's what it's about. About halfway through the message today, I read one of my favorite verses that that deals with adoption. It comes from Ephesians chapter 1, specifically in verse 5. And today I want to end our time together by reading the verses that surround this verse. I want you to get a picture of what this really means today. How we can be a church in celebration today because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And if you haven't believed in Jesus... If you haven't made that decision to be baptized into Christ, today's the day. There's new hope. There's there's new life in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. These are the words that, that Paul wrote. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we were united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace that he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace That he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. And he forgave our sins. He has showered us. He has showered his kindness on us. Along with all wisdom and understanding. Church family, in Christ, God rescues us from our past. Every person here at one point was or, or maybe is in a place where you are chained by the sin in your life. And by God's grace, through faith in Jesus, God offers freedom from that. In Christ, he adopts us into his family, where at one point, there, it seemed like there was no hope and no future. Now there's hope and a future in Christ. And in Christ, he provides a future far better than we could ever Imagine being in the family of God, whether you're a new Christian or an old Christian, you, are, you have access to the same benefits as everyone else. You're a part of this amazing inheritance. You are heirs with Christ. 
The same thing that God the Father has promised to do for the Son, he promises to do for you. You're going to share in those benefits. Here's the charge for the church today. Knowing what we know, having God's word at our fingertips, let's be a church that lives like sons and daughters of the King. In Christ, we have been set free to live free for Christ.